All right, folks, we're back with part two of our annual 2020 review. And we're going to start a little bit lighthearted. And one thing that I want to start with is I think it's hilarious. I think it's just funny. Um, and I think this kind of goes to our, um, you know, just uh, the, not necessarily the Zoom thing. I, I, I know this. Yeah, but that's a big, big part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that. So... Uh, Laith, give us a brief rundown on Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeffrey Tubin is a constitutional lawyer. He's the legal analyst, uh, I think chief legal analyst with CNN. He was a longtime, now former writer with The New Yorker. He's a very prominent figure amongst elite media circles. Mm-hmm. He was a very, very strong critic of Donald Trump. And he had a bit of an embarrassing mishap this year. And again, uh, for me, the thing that's so funny about it is that the personal tragedy of it all, although it is. A personal mishap is a very nice way yeah, of putting it. Although this. it's personally tragic for him. <laughs> it's, you know, the inherent contradictions, ironies of the media elites interfacing with this new technological world brought to us via Zoom. And you got people who, you know, are middle aged who can't quite figure it out. And they're exposing themselves, literally and figuratively. <laughs> I like how you put that. So, um, in the case of, of Jeffrey Tubin, for those of you who haven't heard, uh, this past fall, Jeffrey Tubin was on a Zoom meeting. And if you listen to the first half of our 2020 review, and we talked about the prominence of Zoom, how ubiquitous Zoom now is, and how Zoom is here to stay. And we're all doing meetings over Zoom now. Well, Jeffrey Tubin was in a business meeting with fellow writers, mostly, I think, from The New Yorker. And during that meeting, he seemed to have thought he put his video on mute. And he decided to start masturbating. <laughs> now, why he had the impulse to masturbate during a business meeting is in itself a question that'd be interesting to answer. He either loves his work so much that it gets him going, which I guess in a way could be a compliment. Or, or you know, I, I he hates his work so much that <laughs> he needs to stress. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I got to knock one out here. Woo! This meeting is killing me. It's brutal. Uh... So you know, it reveals one of two things. And so, like I said, he's he's in the middle of a meeting, and. He, he starts masturbating during the meeting. And he doesn't know his camera's on. And he doesn't know his camera's on. <laughs> and people are watching him masturbate. Okay. Well, it comes out later. It's leaked. Not the video. Uh, but, you know, the news of his behavior was leaked. He was horrified. He was embarrassed. He had to apologize to his wife, which I'm sure yeah. he did. Yeah. I'm sure he's still apologizing. He had to apologize <sighs> to his kids. He obviously had to apologize to his colleagues. And then he was fired from the New Yorker. After an investigation, the New Yorker decided to fire him. Not personally. I think that's a Yeah, little, why fire him? I think it's a little harsh because it was clearly an accident. There was no ill intent. Right. Right? But it's a bad PR thing. But it's horrible, man. That's a bad PR <laughs> That's a bad thing. thing. He has not been on CNN since. But then there was, there was an underlying issue. I'm not comparing Jeffrey Tubin accidentally getting caught masturbating to Donald Trump's alleged behavior. And, and for the most part, it has been alleged, but there's a lot of allegations, mm-hmm. right? Well, he apologized. So. I'm not. Oh, you're talking about Trump. I'm talking about Trump. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm not comparing the two. 
But man, Jeffrey Tubin really went at Donald Trump. Right. I mean, he really sat on his high horse. And as happens, after this came out, other sort of seedy things came out about Tubin. And I don't want to repeat them because mm-hmm. they're his personal business. Right. And I, you know, I, I don't want to judge people for their own personal relationships, affairs, or whatever the case they may have been. And I still think it was harsh for Jeffrey Tubin to have been uh, fired. But, you know, he really perched himself on a high horse and he attacked Trump with all this morality and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then I don't know, man, you it's just, New Yorker it's, too. Like if you read the New Yorker, it's all pompous. Just, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. for me, and the guy can't keep his dick in his pants yeah. for more than 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't have sympathy for guys like that. I think I find this to be absolutely hilarious. Um, your entire career now is going to be known as the guy that was, you know, beating his wanker in front of his his colleagues. Yeah. Um, and you know, for being such an elite schmuck, you know, just pompous and arrogant, and for and, this to happen and there was to you, a, and there's a lot of that. There was a lot of being pompous and arrogant. Extreme. Yes. And right. that's why, again, I don't feel bad because you know you just lost your job. You know, you didn't lose your life. You didn't lose you know anything. Um, that serious so i don't have an issue laughing at this but it's instant karma bro like yeah i'm sorry yeah, but that was just right. instant karma like out of all things you didn't slip up on a hot mic yeah. you know and and I, I really go back to what you said who the hell wants to slap their wanker <laughs> in the middle of a meeting dude like yeah. aren't and you the, thinking about the meeting or and, and, you sitting in the meeting thinking damn i'm gonna slap my meat as soon as i'm done with no, this and, like and <laughs> and the thing is you know he's done it before yeah you know he's done it before. Yeah. So now every time people start thinking, remember that Zoom meeting when Jeff <laughs> went black? You know, he had his video on mute there for five, ten minutes. You know, maybe two to five minutes, who knows. But <laughs> he was jerking it. So I think maybe that's why he got fired. I think the New Yorker asked his colleagues, how many times did you see Tubin go black during Zoom meetings? I will pay. Every time, man. I would pay. To see the group text of his colleagues after they heard about that. <laughs> I would pay to see their reaction. Yeah. And, you know, especially the way they talk and they're very pompous and arrogant. Like, you know, I, I, I'm just so curious. How did they, like, did, were they laughing at him? Did they feel bad for him? Did they say what you said? Like, oh, shit. He probably was wanking at that one time. We couldn't get him on the phone or oh, I need five happened. minutes, guys. That happened. <laughs> Give me five yeah. minutes. I'm on a conference call. No, yeah. you're slapping your meat, bro. You know, like, uh, and, I, I just, and, uh, I don't and, know. And the thing that brings it full circle, the things that's most funny about it to me is if it wasn't for COVID and it wasn't for Zoom, I mean, like COVID is like revealing yeah. all these things and sort of. Of fashioning all these things. So and, I, I just thought it was a really funny story. And and I know it's true because, you know, we do Zoom calls for court, right? And we see some of these older lawyers and they really don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember once I was in a Zoom call and I guess the lawyer didn't know he wasn't uh, muted. I guess he was getting into like an argument with his wife, and it's like, yeah. shut the fuck up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's looking like, okay, sir, mute, mute. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, I thought it was hilarious, but the judge is like, dude, you know, right. Uh, right. but they don't know technology. Right. And, and I can't wait till somebody comes out with like court bloopers or just like uh, Zoom bloopers. It's, it's just a, it's a good idea, man. It, it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and hackers, if you can find this Jeffrey Tubin video, 
you will get millions <laughs> of views in a heartbeat. So I know you a lot of uh, there's a lot of hackers out there. So go ahead and uh, when you're bored, uh, try to find it. But um, speaking of funny, um, let's talk Mike Tyson. Yeah, I, I watched the fight, and I actually thought it was thoroughly entertaining. I know you disagree. But. I thought it was absolutely stupid. It was it was just terrible. You know, the nostalgia was cool, but um, I, I posted this funny video. And it well, was- for the, first for the audience, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, this past Thanksgiving weekend, Mike Tyson, the great Iron Mike Tyson, a former heavyweight champion of the world, did an exhibition match with former champion, heavyweight, light heavyweight, middleweight going on, Roy Jones Jr., the great Roy Jones Jr., who was probably the fighter of the 90s. The great ducker, but okay. And um, they put on an exhibition match. It was sponsored. Uh, the The promoter was somehow associated with Triller. I, I'm still not quite sure exactly who the promoter was, but they did a pay-per-view event, and they had an undercard. They had a celebrity match between Jake Paul and Nate Robinson. Who's now the biggest meme on uh, social media. Right? And then culminating in the uh, fight between Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we're talking about here. And it was the great return of Mike Tyson. So I just, you got two really old guys that are sparring. And, and I know you mentioned it, it was really good production. You know, a lot of us, especially who grew up Mike Tyson, we know what the prize fight is. And I and I and I'm a UFC guy. I liked UFC, but it, I, I'm still a believer. There's nothing in any sport that can compare to a prized fight, heavyweight fight. Okay. For those of us who lived through that, we know the anticipation. We know what that's like when the two big heavyweights are walking into the ring, and it's pay per view, and everyone's waiting and waiting, and the intro music, and then you had uh, uh, David Buffer. I think this is his first name, David. Um, buffered the, the the intro and then you had the bald referee like that was my childhood right, right. Like, there was nothing like a prize fight and on top of that nothing like a tyson prize fight yes now again i wasn't expecting then okay yeah. I, I wasn't that naive to think that and i kind of went into to it knowing but i don't know man i just didn't tickle my fancy you know i mean uh, it just really didn't do it for me i it was like ah, all right you know i could have did without this and, and been happy with it so i think for a lot of us it was the nostalgia but you cannot tell me you thought it was a good fight well okay so first to discuss the the entirety of the event so uh, i was with my daughter it was thanksgiving weekend um, for perspective, my daughter is uh, 18 years old. Okay, I'm 42, so it gives you gives you a sense of which generation and how we're approaching this thing. Right. I thought the fight looked, all the fights looked great. The way they produced it, they had the it was held in the Staples Center, mm-hmm. and they blacked out the entire arena, and the ring was basically all white. Mm-hmm. Right, the mat was white, the ropes were white, right. the corners were like this off-white silver. So it popped. It was really vivid, you know, the the distinction and juxtaposition between the ring and the audience, mm-hmm. or rather the empty seats, right. okay? And that was one of the brilliant things of just blacking mm-hmm. out the empty Staples Center. I thought it looked beautiful, but I didn't care for the music. They had Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> they had uh, somebody else. Yeah. I mean, the only one I liked was Snoop because I don't listen to rap past 1997, yeah. 1998, <laughs> right? Something like that, right? So... I didn't care for the music. However, my daughter was into it. She's like, oh, Wiz Khalifa, uh, uh, black and gold or black and yellow or whatever. She's like, oh, we used to, we used to sing that in mm-hmm. third grade or whatever. You know, So 
she got engaged. She didn't know who Roy Jones Jr. was. She kind of knew who Mike Tyson right. was, but she then, knows Tyson the character, not the fighter. Exactly. But she's there watching the fights with me. So I was like, oh, that's why that music's there. Uh, that's why that music's serving a function, even though it's not appealing to me personally right. because I'm an old man and it's not my taste. It is serving a production function. I've seen some people criticize it, you know, kind of old school fighter heads, right? And they're like, oh, man, I could have done without the music. No, it served a high-value right. production, right, to production. So <clears throat> that's in terms of the show. When it comes to the Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. fight, it, well, first of all, it was very clear. Tyson is in incredible shape, right? I mean, the way he was moving, the mm -hmm. way he looked like himself. Right. And it was clearly an exhibition. Tyson, I don't think, ever took a hard shot at Roy Jones Jr. head. Why? Because he could have knocked Roy, right. Roy Jones Jr. out. He still had power. You could see it in the body shots. And then what I appreciated was Roy Jones Jr. taking those shots, and they were hard, mm -hmm. but saying, okay, I got to put on a show here. I have to make sure that I show up and I put it on for the fans. And he did it at times. He was gassed. Roy Jones Jr. was in less shape, less better shape mm -hmm. than Mike Tyson. It was clear. But, you know, man, those two old guys, they went at it. Mike Tyson being 54, Roy Jones Jr. being 51. Did they really go at it, though? They, well, they only went at it as far as they could without hurting each other. And I don't think any of us wanted put, to see them hurt each other. They put sparring equipment on. I mean, you know, I, I think, again, there's nobody that's of sound mind that expected this to be a real, real, real fight. But I expected a little bit more. And the fact that it was a draw told me this was fixed. Not fixed, but this was WWF. That was announced before it was going to happen. There was not going to be a winner because it's an exhibition fight. Yeah, which is stupid. And I still didn't even think the draw was as that offensive. I thought Tyson won the fight. Yeah. But there was a couple rounds that Jones won. I think so. Yeah, I, I just, it was really WWF for me. Yeah. And, and again, you know, for the entertainment factor, sure. Um, I guess I, I'm in the middle uh, of you and the purist. I'm, the reason I, I have issue with the purist is like, come on, bro. You knew this was not yeah. going to be real. Like, right. Calm down. Yeah. Okay, they're freaking 50 years old. Sure. We kind of knew that. But I just think it was really WWF. Um, but what I did enjoy was Snoop Dogg. Oh, my God. He made that show. And and yeah. I and I joke uh, with you about this and a lot of my friends. I want Snoop to call Monday Night Football. Okay? like Haven't I, they tried that? Not Snoop Dogg. Who did they try? No, they had, um, what's his name, uh, from PTI. Um, Tony Kornheiser, I know, at one point. Nah, man. There was they. They put a comic or a Dennis Miller. Yeah, but Dennis Miller's yeah, not yeah. funny. No, no, no. Yeah, fair enough. But He's I was terrible. just trying to remember. Yeah, there because was an experiment where they tried to put like you know a non-sports broadcaster into the booth with them, and it was Dennis Miller. That's but who. It Dennis was. Miller's not Snoop Dogg. No, I I I, I agree with you. So, yeah. and again, you can't bring Snoop on on you know uh, yeah. daytime uh, or you know uh, primetime TV. I'm kind of joking. But put that shit on pay-per-view. Let Snoop, let someone get hit in a football game and just let Snoop kind of get I, at him. I, th I think you may have something there. I think Snoop is beloved. The other thing is, though, and I heard this from you know some colleagues of mine who are in the fighting world, they felt it was a little disrespectful. They thought having Snoop in there was a little disrespectful. Why? It's an entertainment thing. No, sure. But you got, I mean, look, the undercard were serious fights, mm -hmm. right? And I can't recall how much Snoop was commenting on the I didn't undercard. watch the undercard, so okay. I didn't know if he even commented on that. But um, 
they were serious fights. I mean, these guys right. were making a point. They were making professional points. And it affects their career. And you know all the hard work that goes into that, man. All the hard work that mm-hmm. goes into showing up. And, and, and man, nothing is as hard as fighting. Right. Nothing. Especially I don't care what training. sport you're in. Right. Okay? And, you know, he's joking. He's making jokes. Some people saw it as disrespectful. But, again, if you can get away from the purism of it, you can see strictly from an entertainment point of view, from a promotion point of view, I could see it, man. He's funny. He, he made funny comments. You know who I can see bringing sure. him on? Dana White. I can see Dana White giving him a couple of those cards or some type of fight because I love Dana White and the fact he's a visionary. I think he understands the public better than any, uh, I don't know if he's a commissioner, but any sports, quote-unquote, commissioner who oversees their sport. I think Dana White is light years ahead of Goodell. I think he's light years ahead of uh, whoever runs baseball. Um, I just think he gets it. And I can really see Dana White saying, you know what, hold on, guys. I'll tell you why that'll never happen, okay? First, Dana White does not want to reduce UFC to exhibition, and that would be kind of the signal you're sending. Second of all, man, Joe Rogan's been commentating on UFC forever. He's a comedian. You never hear him make a joke. That's true. Never. But He takes it very seriously, right? But he right? is one of, he's a, not a fighter, but he trains. Rogan understands Sure. Who the fighters are, what they go of course, through. Absolutely. He's really big into that. Yeah. So I, I think Rogan just really respects and appreciates it. Um, I think if you see UFC bringing in Snoop Dogg, who knows gimmicky. nothing about fighting, it would seem like a gimmick yeah. and it would seem like the decline of UFC. And they're at their heights. They have no need for that. They probably don't need yeah. it. Yeah. I just want to see them somewhere. I just thought. I, I get it. I get what you're saying. And, and you know, I yeah. gauge. Off of social media reactions. And he was the star of the show. Yeah. It wasn't Tyson. Yeah. It wasn't anybody else. My daughter was laughing. I mean, she thought it was hilarious. Right. right. Yeah. And Nate Robinson is the I new laughed meme. Too, to be honest with you. But Snoop Dogg was like the thing. Now, you know, again, it's 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 just Snoop Dogg. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought he was great. But enough of uh, Snoop Doggy Dog, And we're showing our age with that one. Um, we got a lot more to talk about in our annual 2020 review. And we cannot talk about 2020 without talking about the election. Um, and I know we've talked about this a lot in our podcast. We've gone over it, but it was a huge election. Um, so I think it's something we do really have to address. But you brought up a valid point um, in, in our pre-discussion that Black Lives Matter and that entire movement had a, a, a dramatic effect on the outcome of this election. Is that correct? Is that what uh, you feel? I really think so. Why so? so? We have said that if COVID had not happened, Trump would have easily won re-election, and I think so. Mm-hmm. But if COVID had not happened, the summer of protests would not have happened either. They would not have happened with the same intensity, to the same degree, the same numbers of people participating. First thing I want to do is I want to separate, though, the protests from Black Lives Matter, right? I think there's been a conflation between a very specific organization with a very specific manifesto. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the summer of protests, if you will, okay? Uh, so for the sake of convenience, I think a lot of us refer to it as BLM, but it was much far beyond BLM. Mm-hmm. And BLM as an organization has been overall kind of a failure, right. you okay? The term means a lot, Black Lives Matter, absolutely. Uh, I'm hard-pressed to find somebody who disagrees with right. the phrase, okay? But as an organization, uh, you know, on the whole, there's a lot of infighting, they don't appeal to a lot of black intellectuals, so on and so forth, right? We don't need to get into all that. But 
I think because of Trump, he's so polarizing. And I've referred to this before as the Trump effect. Anything that Trump did was going to provoke an equally forceful reaction in the opposite direction, right? So when Trump said, I'm going to stand with the police, and he took that position, Mm -hmm. you had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who were largely white, white liberals, right, who came out into the streets and were protesting for weeks, okay? And that sent a shock into this country. And there were two reactions. Either people were happy that finally this expression is being made, or people were horrified that it was being made. And a lot of that, of course, depends on where you were politically and where you lived geographically. Mm-hmm. But one thing it did do, it left an indelible impression upon the citizen. And it galvanized, it provoked action. And more people voted in this election than ever. Right. And that was not in Trump's favor. It's generally not in Republicans' favor. Why? There's more Democrats in this country than there are Republicans. Mm-hmm. Okay, You put the big Democratic cities and states together, New York, Chicago, L.A., uh, so on and so forth, you're going to have more Democrats. And if you provoke them to vote, Republicans are going to lose. And I think that's what happened. I think because of the summer of protests, it sends such shockwaves as to either the importance or the horror of what was forthcoming. And it, it mobilized people, right? Trump got more votes than he ever got, all right? Joe Biden got more votes than anyone has ever got. I think Trump is in second with how he did this election. So clearly what it did was it provoked people to come out and vote. And because of that, I think Trump lost. That's how they flipped Georgia. Yes, exactly. That's the best example of it. That's the best example of it. And even right now, a state as red as Georgia has been over the last many, many decades, there's an opportunity for two Democrats to win these Senate seats. It's because people came out and voted. Mm -hmm. And Trump did that. Trump provoked that kind of response. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean when I say that the summer of protests slash BLM, Black Lives Matter, led to Trump's defeat. I don't think it was COVID per se. I think it's what happened over the summer, which would not have happened if it wasn't for COVID. If it wasn't for COVID, all those white, young white people you saw out there protesting, they would have been at work. Yeah. You know, they would have been in school. Yeah. They would have been out with their friends. But everybody was sitting around, being in quarantine for months on end, people were getting anxious, people were getting antsy, and they came out and they protested over the summer. The weather cooperated, all yeah. of the above. And it just left such an indelible impression in people that the political activity inside of their own mind and heart and soul continue to resonate through the election. That's what I think. I don't, I don't think COVID cost Trump the election. I do think COVID cost him a lot of independents who might've swayed his way. Um, that, that, that's what I think he lost with COVID. His base was going to vote for him and the other side was going to vote. Yes. For Biden because Biden's one of the probably, I don't want to say worst candidates in them quite some time and still got the most votes ever. Yeah. Because they didn't vote for Biden. They, they voted vote against, anti-Trump. Right, against to Trump. your point. Absolutely. So I agree with you on yeah, that. Absolutely. And the numbers that Biden got tells you that this was an anti-Trump thing because yes. Biden is not. Now, I think his strategy was good. Um, he kind of stayed out of it a little bit. Yeah. He basically let Trump kick the chair. He did. He and did. I think strategically Biden did really good. And I think 
he appeased some of the far left just enough, mm-hmm. just enough, even though they know he's full of shit and he's going to flip on them because he's a centrist. I mean, he's a yeah. hawkish centrist. Let's Absolutely. let's be real here. Absolutely. We all know who Joe Biden is. Yeah. I mean, his track record speaks for itself. So uh, I think he, he made some good moves. I think the Kamala uh, pick was a good move for him. Um, I think he's, you know, uh, made some decent promises. I think he showed up pretty good after the first debacle on the debate. Um, I, I think he came off as the adult in the room, which is sad that that's kind of become the standard for presidential um, runs. But, yeah, I, I only think COVID cost Trump some independence, but I, I don't think – I do agree with you. I don't think it was the end-all, be-all. Um, but I, you, you recently um, wrote an article for the Chicago Monitor, correct? And, and yeah. It's a really good article, very funny, um, but – your point is very valid, and I and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, and especially when we had Scott Hibbert on, when it comes to the religious component of it. But I think it's just it's beyond just the religious component, but just the two extremes. And and one thing in relating to earlier about our conversation about Trump and his COVID, his fault. And I and I agree with your article in the sense that Trump is not as bad as the other side wants you to think, and he's not as great as his followers right. put him on a pedestal, yeah. and vice versa for Biden, yes. right? I think they're actually more similar to each other in policy, and and I, you make this very clear that, and I, this was probably the the, the best point um, out of it was Trump's policies. Forget his rhetoric. Yes, his policies were not far off, guys. Yeah. They really weren't. They were pretty standard, pretty orthodox. Yeah, policies. you know, yeah. The, every president has his own variation of it, but policy-wise, again, take away rhetoric. Policy-wise. He's not that far off from most Republicans, right. and I think he's even a little more centrist than some yes, Republican right, exactly. um, presidents. Yeah. Look at um, yeah. Reagan. I mean, he's right. way more centrist than Reagan ever was, right? So, um, and, and your whole— and, there, and he even, there was an element of economic nationalism with yeah. Trump, you know, like this protect the American worker Correct. against Chinese and export That's labor. That's why non-traditional Republican voters— Voted for Trump. Yeah. They said, he's going to stand up for us. Yes. Yeah, we got to yeah. fight the Chinese because yeah. they are killing us on, on trade and, and, you know, so on and so forth. But your overall premise was this is not the reflection of the country. This is the reflection of what the me- media made uh, sides. So explain that a little bit. So, okay. <clears throat> as, you know, as, as you pointed out, one of the things I pointed out in the article is that the impression that half of the country basically has of Donald Trump is not necessarily an accurate reflection of who the person really is in terms of policies. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the man politically. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about his personal right. life, right? But in, politically, it's not an accurate reflection of what he, who he was. The left was under the impression that Donald Trump was this anomalous tyrant mm-hmm. who came out of nowhere took over the entire country and was going to become a dictator and you know, all the above, you know, he's the orange bad man. No one lies like Donald Trump. Oh my, no politician. Oh, they may fib a little, but Donald Trump lies so much. I mean, are you kidding me? Politicians, they've been lying to you your entire life. He was always some kind of exception, something so unique. Something so unique and horrible, we had to fight against it. This is a frame. Mm-hmm. And like any frame, it's going to include things that you want to focus on. It's going to exclude things that you don't want the viewer to focus on. And I think it's very fair to ask, how is this frame 
What is it excluding? Why is it including this and that? But we don't tend to ask that, right? Now, on the flip, we did the same thing with Joe Biden. We created a frame, Mm -hmm. okay? Fox. So MSNBC was creating MSNBC, CNN. The liberal media was creating this frame of Donald Trump. He's uniquely bad. He's uniquely uh, uh, tyrannical. All all the above, Mm -hmm. okay? And then on the flip, Fox News is telling you that Joe Biden was some like like he's like Malcolm X like in disguise. Right. He's like some yeah. black liberation <laughs> socialist who's going to abolish the police mm-hmm. and crime is going to take over everywhere. And that liberals are these clandestine people who hate America. Open borders, no law. Yeah, and yeah, order. yeah, yeah, right? No law and order. And but they love masks <laughs> because they hate freedom. Yeah. They hate America and they hate freedom. You know? So one of the things I pointed out in the article is actually people African Americans don't want less police. Yeah. They want more police. Yeah. They just want better police. Yeah. But when you say they want to get rid of the police, well, that freaks out a lot yeah. of reasonable people. But including black people. Right. See, and this, <laughs> yeah. But one side is viewing the other through a frame. And the other side, uh, vice versa, right? So now you have conservatives in this country viewing liberals through a skewed frame. And you have liberals in this country viewing conservatives through a skewed frame. And all of the things that we were projecting onto Trump and projecting onto Biden, we are now projecting onto their supporters. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Okay. This country is more divided than either. I'm 42. Maybe there's somebody out there older than me who can show me a different time. But this country is more divided than I've ever seen or have ever known since potentially the 60s when it comes to Vietnam and other cultural wars. Civil rights. And then before that, probably the Civil War, right? So this is a problem. And there's not going to be a reconciliation here Mm. because now media is getting worse. And the thing I argued in the article is media is creating those frames because they're simplistic. They allow you to click. They're clickbait. And they're tribal. And this is the worst. So the things that we accuse Trump of, which I've also accused Trump of, of appealing to people's identity in a very uh, manipulative fashion, in a cynical fashion, the media is doing it too. MSNBC and CNN are appealing to you as a liberal. They're encouraging you to hate people who don't agree with you. And Fox News is doing the exact same thing, right? And they're these media giants who often escape scrutiny and are never the center of our criticism in this society who profit tremendously off of it are appealing to our worst instincts. Why is that though? Why don't they get criticized or, you know, um, kind of, um, you know, I think the media used to be held to a higher standard and, and I think this is our fault because as a people, we are now cheerleaders and we're looking for someone who's going to cheerlead for us. So for example, when I was watching the election results, I just, uh, you know, I put on the guide and the first thing that took me was to CNN. I couldn't watch it for more than 10 minutes. I had to change the channel. Yeah. Because they were clearly rooting for Biden. Yes. It pissed me off. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. They were talking about Trump want to stay, but but Biden still has a chance. Right. Who the fuck are you to say that? Like, yeah. give yeah. me the They're numbers. They're not journalists anymore. They're not journalists. Yeah, this, give I mean, me the numbers. Yeah. Don't don't have your pom poms on. And it was so obvious. And and I turned it off. And I think I, NBC actually did a really great job. I, I ended up watching NBC. Fox even did better than CNN. I thought so too. Uh, I but, really did. I thought Fox was probably the best of the three major cable networks about the election. 
Uh, NBC was good. I ended up watching NBC. I actually thought they were the best. I, yeah. I, NBC, not MSNBC, right? Yeah, NBC. NBC right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't dare put MSNBC. Um, I, yeah. I can't Yuck. stand them. Yeah, Ugh. they're the worst. They're worse than CNN. So I did check on Fox News. I was like, mm, not bad, but I, I hate just seeing those people. Yes. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> I, I seen NBC5. Very objective, very fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't feel like I they had their pom-poms on. I, I think on. that's what I was watching, too. Yeah, and and, yeah. and I stayed on there, and I, I was pretty happy with it. Um, but I, CNN, I they literally were cheering for Trump. And, and again, I'm like, you know, I don't really have a dog in that fight. But as as a viewer, I was pissed off by that. Yeah, I, really I was, was, too. I was, too, if you value journalistic integrity. And here's another story, and... I mean, this is this is one of the stories that has not been covered. It's underappreciated. Is the total decline of journalistic integrity and ethics in this mm-hmm. country? We don't have. Re- That's one of the things that Trump was right about. He's like, it's all fake news. Yeah. I mean, he has a point. And for those of us who have a, it, hmm, this is really interesting. Man, go ask go ask the average African American on the South Side of Chicago what they think about the news. Mm. They told you the news is bullshit yeah. 10 years ago. They didn't need Donald yeah, Trump yeah. to come along. Yeah, that's a good point. Go ask the average Arab American what they think <laughs> yeah. about the news. Okay? Right. We knew they, this. They've been saying it for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Okay? The news is fake. It's bullshit. Right? Now, Trump comes along and he sort of allows it to be permissible amongst major mainstream swaths of this country. And now you have the media is in trouble. Okay? Because you have. Uh, middle America, they are no longer invested in mainstream news. Even Fox is going to get outflanked to the right by right. Newsmax and, and these up-and-comers. There's people on the left, they've had a problem with mainstream media for a long time, right? I mean, they, they view it as corporate. They view it as elite. They view it as part of, you know, the quote-unquote capitalist structure. So... I find that cable news is in big trouble. CNN, MSNBC, even Fox, they're in big trouble. But the lack of journalistic integrity, the decline of journalistic standards is one of those things that we don't talk about. But again, who's supposed to, who's going to talk about it? It's supposed to be the journalists. Right. And they're not going to talk right. about it. You they know, keep their jobs. Yeah. So do you think we're missing our Walter Cronkite? Yes. I agree. Of course. But I, I am, who, am I oversimplifying? No, no, no. Though? Let me ask you. Who do you trust Right now? Yeah. Who do you watch in the news that you trust? I don't. I, I follow Dan Rather on Facebook. He's the most credible guy. I, I think Dan Rather's a jackass. Okay? He could be. I'll never get over the way he trot the 2003 Gulf War. That's true. He I'll marched right that. along. And for me, that's a huge, right. huge arbiter of who you were as a journalist. Aaron Brown was critical of that war. You've right. never seen Aaron Brown since. That's true. Uh, Ashley, uh, she, was, she was with MSNBC. Ashley uh, Banff. Something. Uh, anyway, she was critical of the war. You never saw her since, okay? There was a few journalists. Phil Donahue, who wasn't yeah. quite a journalist, but a broadcaster, right. seriously critical of the war. You never saw him since. Yeah. People who were right about the war got punished. Right. People who were wrong about it... Got promoted. Got promoted, or at the very least, kept their jobs and yeah. are still around. The Thomas Dumbfucks Friedmans yeah. of the world, right? Thomas Friedman is a dumbass. Yeah. Okay, and he's still here pontificating with his bullshit. And so I could go on and on and on. But real integrity means you were willing to take a risk and lose your job. And Ashley Banfield, that was her name. And there was a few journalists willing to do it. And they suffered for it. And you didn't see the world of journalism elevate them, bring them back. 
salute them and say, you know what, you guys were right. right. Helen Thomas. Yeah. Helen Thomas. Yeah. God rest her soul. Yeah. One of the great journalists of of the late of the twentieth century and the early twenty first century, right? And all banished, that- exiled. From where a place where she was such a trailblazer, you know. And to your point about CNN and all them losing it, and I and I think that's going to happen because I think all the the newer, younger, really good journalists are starting their own YouTube pages. Mm-hmm. They're going to Vice. They're going to all these. Um, you know, they could just flip on their Instagram now, and if they have three hundred thousand followers, I, I think they're going to really start growing to that because, you know. If you're a journalist and you go to CNN, you're looked at as commercialized now. Right. You know, your integrity right. is, is there. And, yeah, I really think, like, till today, you probably don't even know Walter Cronkite's uh, inner beliefs. Sure. You really yeah, don't. Yeah, you don't, right. And when, when our country was facing anything, yeah. he was the spokesperson. Yes. He let us know what was going on. Yeah. He didn't tell us how to think. Yeah. He didn't tell us what to think. Exactly. Here's what happened. Right. And I'm going to tell it to you. Now, when there was sad moments whatever, he skewed, you know, human tendencies, which I want to see, but it wasn't biased. Yes. It was a human element. Yes. But right now, if I put on CNN, I see Kumo's jackass just yelling. Right. You bring on a guest just to depance him and, and tear him down. Right. Is that journalism? No. Ask the goddamn questions yeah. and shut the fuck up. Like, I'm sorry. I can't stand it. Tucker Carlson's the same exact thing. Yeah. You guys bring on guests now to make yourselves go viral on social media you're not bringing them on to ask legitimate questions no 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 you do not do that anymore it's how do i make myself sound crazier than the other guy right you know so um i'm with you and i and i there's there's two two things two or three things i want to say about this first for all of you liberals out there who love rachel maddow okay god rachel maddow makes north of six million a year she doesn't have your interests yeah. at heart, guys. She doesn't relate to you. She takes her tax cuts. Okay? And yes, she does. And believe me, she acts like a Republican when it comes to yes. her accounting. All right? So get over the illusion, man. Transcend the frames. Rachel Maddow, she's part of the elite establishment. Okay? When it comes to uh, people at Fox... They're not going to church and, no. and, and getting on their hands and knees and God forgive me for my sins. Mm-hmm. You know, these people do not resonate with their respective audiences. And why people think they do, I don't know. I would like to recommend there's one news outlet that I watch, uh, Sagar and Crystal on The Rising. It's it's on YouTube. Okay. Okay. It's called The Rising. It's presented by The Hill. The Hill is a, a politics publication. Yeah, I know The Hill. And Sagar and Crystal, and they have a great show because Crystal is on the left, but she's really critical of the Democrats. Sagar's on the right, but he's really, really critical of the Republicans. And they're willing to point out what's wrong in their own party, and they don't play party politics. That's probably the only show I watch that I think— What do you think of Amy Goodman in Democracy Now? <laughs> really? Yes. She's outdated. She she wasn't able to grow with things, mm-hmm. and— some of this is my own personal bias right. talking. Amy Goodman sounds the way I imagine she sounded when she was 20. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Okay. When I was 20, I had beliefs. I've outgrown a lot of them. Not all of them. Some of them I'm going to take to the day I die. Okay. Because what's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. But I have grown into a more practical person. So 
when I see people... Um, you think she's too much of an idealist? Yes, she's too much of an idealist. That's how I'd put it. She's too much of an idealist. What I, the one thing I do uh, like about her, she's not afraid to bring on certain guests that might not be yes, put I, on CNN. And I don't mean to her. thoroughly disrespect her. That's yeah, yeah, unfair no, on my part. That's and, unfair and, on my part. And um, her, her delivery is, is very boring. Um, mm-hmm. I think she's a little bit too articulate sometimes. Um, where Actually, I take that back. She's not articulate enough. She She's too professorial if that's a real word where it's like you know you're the host right you you play a specific role um so you know it's just uh i think the standard is so low um for media uh but speaking of media and i'm gonna transition a little bit um i want to go into a slightly lighter topic but it's not gonna be light for me um Let's talk sports for a second. Oh, all day. Let's do it. And I'm going to transition with the media. Because, 2020 review of sports. Yes, because the media right now is crushing my bears. <laughs> the okay. bears are crushing your bears, bro. Yeah. So let me get on my soapbox <laughs> about my bears. Okay. Everyone know that knows me knows I'm a diehard. So, so now, like, we're towards the end of the year. Where are these teams lining up? I mean, this is when we start getting into playoff thinking for football. You and I are both rabid NFL fans. Yeah. So where are these bears? Let me put my foot up there as for a quick second. You got it. Let me get the soapbox. All right. I'm a diehard fan. Those that know me know I'm a diehard fan. All right. I flew to London for their game. I went to Urlacher's Hall of Fame. I go to the convention every year. I'm part of a tailgate group. You know, I'm those that, one of those kind of yeah. fans, right? And, and I've sat here and watched this team owned by, you know, the McCaskies, which I've actually defended George McCaskey over the years. And... And I and I'm in a lot of groups with diehard fans. We're fed up, like and and we've had years <clears throat> where you know with the Mark Trustman and and all that, and, and we were upset and yeah we were kind, of, but we're fed up now. With what exactly? Everything. And for for me, I'm gonna tell you <clears throat> how to fix the Bears outside of changing ownership. Okay, and we'll get into legacy ownership in a bit because you're a Lions fan and you guys have yes. a very similar issue with legacy ownership. Yes. And, and I'm a, I'm I really hate legacy ownership, but. The problem with the Bears, they can't seem to figure this out, is they have Ted Phillips, who's the president of the organization, who basically calls the shots for the entire organization. He's a goddamn accountant, okay? A five-year-old. The Bears print money. They're the charter franchise of the NFL. A monkey could run that organization and make them money, okay? You're the goddamn Chicago Bears, all right? We spend money. Our fans are loyal, you will always have a sellout. You're going to have 20 years on your waiting list for, for uh, season ticket holders. Right. You don't need an accountant running it. I don't know any other profession in the world where a guy can be there for 20 years and have three playoff wins, okay? Three playoff wins in 20 years. This will now, if they keep him and if they fire Pace and Nagy, this will be his sixth rebuild with three playoff wins in 20 plus years how does a guy like ted phillips keep his job when you're overseeing such turnover secondly the last time they picked and found ryan pace for the gm they went and hired an outside consultant 
If you have to hire an outside consultant, what does that say about your in-house? That yeah. means you don't have a goddamn in-house because yeah. you have a fucking accountant running yeah. your football operation, which is the dumbest thing ever. You need to start from the top. The problem is they're too loyal. Everyone says, oh, they're loyal. Loyal to what? Losing? Yeah. Okay. Go look at the Cubs. What did the Cubs do? They threw the, a blank check to a proven winner yeah. and FD. said, yo, you want to do something special? Right. Come turn around the Cubs. What's your number? 10 million a year? Sure. 20 million, whatever the number is. Fill out this check. Bring everyone with you. And what happened to the Cubs? Yeah. They won a World Series. Right. Okay. Blackhawks. When Dollar Bill Words died, his son took over. The first thing he did was go get uh, McDonough. Okay, who ran the Cubs? Yeah. Said, hey, come run this. Okay. And now I'm going to put the t games back on TV. Fans, we're going to do this for you. They have been selling out the moment he took over and revamped his front office from the top down. Okay. White Sox did it in, in a certain right. level, too. Right. They told Kenny Williams, you're cool. Take your ass up upstairs. Rick Hahn, you're going to run this day to day. Yeah. And Reinsdorf finally listened. The Bulls just did it. Finally, they got rid of garbage guard packs. We, Bulls fans have been screaming for 10 years to get rid of these guys. They finally got rid of it. Now they seem like a legitimate organization. The Bears run Chicago. I, the, it is Cubs the most fans important don't team. even yeah, talk to it's me. It's the most important team in Chicago. Without, Without a, a doubt. shred of Without doubt. doubt. Yeah. Cubs fans don't even come at me. You might be close second. I don't really give a shit. This is Bears country. Yeah. Okay. We Bears run this. How are you so inept? How is the charter franchise of the NFL so inept? Okay. And there's one thing I want to clear up. I know the Bears passed up on Patrick Mahomes. I'm not upset at that. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One, nobody knew Mahomes. Was exactly. You can't okay. predict that stuff. Let's yeah. shut up, guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I would. I, I said yeah. pick Mahomes. No, you didn't. Yeah. You couldn't even. You didn't even know what school he yeah, went to. Right. Shut yeah. the hell up, guy. Okay, <laughs> sit your ass on the sideline. Yeah. Now, passing up on Watson, that was stupid. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do I think there was racial undertones today? Absolutely. That's my stance. I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't talk to me. There was racial undertones today. They wanted the. Um, I'm not going to get into that. They wanted the white golden boy quarterback. Thank yeah. you. Amen. Okay. But and and being Polish doesn't hurt, hurt in Chicago either. It does not. I, I, I exactly. think that's part and of it. And he yeah. drove, you know, a 92 Honda. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, but he can't throw a five yard out, dude. Okay. Yeah. And he, he was yeah. a backup on a basketball <laughs> school. Trubisky okay. sucks, man. He, he always sucks. Secondly, Mahomes would have been good on the Bears, but he would have been great. Nope. Okay. And it's not, guys, it's not to take away from Patrick Mahomes because I mm. love Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and he has Andy Reid, man. It's Andy Reid. Right. He has. Uh, Kelsey, yeah. Tyree Kill, yeah. he had a system yeah. that allowed him to flourish. The Bears have never had a quarterback. You cannot tell me that Patrick Mahomes would have been this Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Now, we would have been better, absolutely, yeah. uh, but your daughter can play quarterback and be better than Mitch Trubisky, right? right? Like, right. It, that's not a high standard. Right. So I, I want to get the, the, the Patrick Mahomes. Now, does it bother me every time I watch Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I'm not going to sure, lie to you. Sure. I'm still not over it. Even though I admit that I, you know, nobody really knew Patrick Mahomes, but the Chiefs did. They mm -hmm. moved up to get him, yeah. right? So, yeah. what does that say about your scouting? That lathe goes back to the top. Yes. Okay. Your scouts, your president picks your GM, who picks your scouts, who picks your system. And tell the Bears either A, get rid of Ted Phillips, or B, which is my hope. When Virginia finally dies, and, and I'm not saying in a crude way, she's like 98 years old. Okay, so you mm -hmm. know, her time is very limited. That her kids see that four and a half billion dollar valuation, yeah, and say, "Cash me out, guys," and let me get a Mark Cuban type in here, 
and buy the Bears and make the charter fucking franchise of the NFL a legitimate run football operation. They're running a football team in the second largest football market in the country, a mom and pop operation. And it's absolutely ridiculous to me, which gets to my point. Legacy ownership. You're a Lions fan. You guys hate the Fords. This is probably more than we hate the McCaskies. I can't imagine you guys hate the McCaskies as much as we hate the Fords. Now, you guys have what won three playoff games in what twenty plus years or something? What? What? what you, you said? I mean, look, you guys won the Super Bowl in 06. Correct. Right. It's obviously, nineteen eighty five. We fired that coach. With right. The 10-win right season. Exactly. You know. Okay. Lovey Smith was probably the best coach they, they had since Mike Ditka. He's better than Mike Ditka. Good. You could argue it. Right. Now, as a Detroit Lions fan, man. Let me spend a few moments lamenting, okay? <laughs> Agonizing with you publicly. We ran Barry Sanders, the greatest running back that ever played the game, out the city. Why? He was time. frustrated with this fucking organization. We ran Calvin Johnson, one of the great receivers to ever play the game, who's being considered first ballot, Hall of Fame, all right? And admitted it's, that's the reason he left. Uh, uh, yeah, openly said. Yeah, he said right? it. And Barry Sanders damn near said as yeah, much. Yeah. He's just too nice. Out of the city. Why? Because of this fucking loser organization. Why is the Detroit Lions losers? Because of the Ford family. That's why. What is it about them? The Ford family took over Detroit in the 1960s. In the 1950s, the Detroit Lions were a perennial champion. Mm-hmm. Okay? The Bobby Lane Lions right. and all that stuff, right? Now, once they took over... The team declined and has sucked ever since, have always sucked. The only time they were competitive was with Barry Sanders, and it wasn't even because they put together a good team around Barry Sanders. It's just he was so exceptional, and that's when they beat— they had Herman Moore. And they they had had Herman Moore's pretty good. All right, We love Herman Moore. All right, He's going to make the ring of honor or hall, right. the ring of fame or whatever in Detroit. He's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, no. I mean, what quarterback can you name from that era? Rodney Pete was probably the best. Rodney Pete? Rick Meyer, okay. was he even with you? Do you know how many first-round picks the Detroit Lions ruined? All right? Charlie Batch. Joey Harrington. Right? Joey Harrington. I mean, they crushed careers. Matthew Stafford. Okay? <laughs> Matthew Stafford has still somehow managed yeah. to have a respectable career, though. And this is why I don't want to see them trade him. There's a lot of talk. How's it going to affect the cap space? really good on the Bears. Okay? And uh, <laughs> I personally, look, if they have to part ways with Stafford, send him to San Francisco. We're hoping they cut him. No, they can't do that. It, it affects the the cap space way too much. They'd okay. be taking a cap hit that they can't afford. It'd be it'd be fucking stupid too. I personally hope they keep him. I personally hope they try to win with him over the next two three years, because I based on past, all you guys are going to go out and do is pick a fuck up. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're going to replace him. You're not going to train him well. You're not going to coach him well. Right. You're going to lose a proven entity and Matthew Stafford, who has succeeded in spite of you. Right. And you're going to have, you know, the next guy, and you're going to ruin his career. That's all you're going to do. So please keep Matthew Stafford. Now, uh, here's the thing about legacy owners. I think they they think these things are something to play with. It is. They don't. don't, The Fords, I watch Sheila Sheila Ford Hampton, you know, whatever her name is. She's, She's the daughter of William Clay Ford. I watched her give her press conference after firing Matt Patricia. Oh, thank you for firing that dumb shit. And you notice we cussed more on during the football. <laughs> <laughs> We've cussed more. We're all articulate <laughs> and thoughtful. <'cause> of... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I watched her press conference. 
She has no vision. She has no idea of what she's trying to do, or where the weaknesses are in this team. How the hell are you going to be? And the Lions, too, looked for outside consulting when they brought in Bob Quinn. What do you need an outside consult for? You're the owners of the damn team. You should know as much about football as anybody. Okay? They just don't. They're a bunch of spoiled kids Mm -hmm. who inherited the team, and it gives a bunch of spoiled kids who aren't good at anything else (laughs) something to do and seem important. It's a toy. Okay? Sell the team. They're not going to. Okay? Because they don't need the money. Yeah. They don't need the money. What are they going to do? Where are you going to put somebody like Sheila Ford? What's she going to do? She's not talented. She's not exceptional. I listened to her speak. You've been rich your whole life. What do you need money for? Yeah, yeah. She didn't blow me away. I didn't see a vision. I didn't Mm -hmm. see, right? But to get to the president's, this is another thing because the Lions have the same problem. The president has too much influence. Mm -hmm. The presidents of football teams are marketing people. They're not football people. They shouldn't have anything to do with football decisions. No, I'm, I'm going to correct you on it. The presidents of bad teams are marketing Fair people. enough. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Go look at the president of Pittsburgh. Go yeah. look at the president of Baltimore. Yeah. Go look at the president of uh, uh, the Patriots. Right. Okay? Um, I, I think they're different. I have a solution for the Bears. I really do. You fire Ted Phillips. Mm-hmm. You open your checkbook. You pick up the phone. You call Peyton Manning. Uh, the Lions would like to see Peyton Manning GM too. But I think at Peyton, GM, not president. I would make Peyton the president. Yeah. Open your book, and it's not a cap hit. You you print money. Okay, so there's mm-hmm. give him ten million a year. Give him fifteen million a year. I would literally go to him and say, Hey, here's a Tony Romo uh, ABC contract. Fifteen million a year, five years. Yeah. Come fix this shit. Because if there's anybody in the world that can pick a quarterback that I'm gonna trust. Yeah. Is going to be Peyton Manning. I think he's articulate. I think he's extremely smart. Yeah. I think he will know how to talk to the fans. He played the game and he will put the right people in position. I want a football guy at the top level. I don't want an accountant. You know, it's funny. It's so funny. What brings to mind, what, what you're saying brings this to mind to me. Michael Jordan turned out not to be that great of an owner. Okay. So all that tremendous basketball skill did not translate into ownership. Tom Brady, in my mind, would not also translate into no. a good coach or a good owner. I agree. Peyton Manning, like Larry Bird, would. There's something and about John the Elway. way. Yeah, and John Elway, right? There's something about the way Peyton thought about the game. Yes. Okay. We all saw it, right? That we know he's going to have success yeah. at, the, at the GM level or the president level, right? I mean, who, and maybe I'm a biased Bears fan, but I mean, who doesn't want to run the charter franchise, right? Uh, hey man, it's an incredible franchise. Well, it's one of the oldest, if not brand the oldest. Wise, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. not an incredible. No, no, no. Franchise. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, but in terms of the history of the NFL, the Chicago Bears are one of the flagship they teams. Are. Yeah, they're, and they, they act like they, a mom and pop spot. Yeah, they may be the oldest team actually, off the top of my head. They are. I mean, that's why they're considered the charter franchise. Right. George Hallis started the NFL. Sure, I mean, literally, basically. Yeah, yeah. He moved. Know. He moved them from Decatur, Decatur to Chicago. Yeah. And Correct. There we go. And, you know, so I think there's a cachet there, but there's been no signs that the McCaskies are going to get rid of Ted Phillips. And again, I'm going to ask this. In what industry can someone lose at their top spot for so long? And, you know, to me, wins are equivalent in the corporate world of profits, right? Right. So imagine the CEO of Microsoft loses profits every year. You think he's going to last for 20 years? He's going to be gone in two, maybe right. three. Right. 
Let them see three quarters of dip in profits. Yeah, You're maybe gone. Yeah, you'd be gone sooner. Even. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why are you allowing this guy to stay? And if you tell me it's because of the business side, again, a monkey can make the bears money. Your logo, your symbol. You're talking about a fan. But dude, when I went to London for the game, we took over London. Yeah. And, and Raider fans were there. And even Raider fans were like, holy shit. Yeah. You guys are 10 to 1, yeah. easy late. 10 yeah. to 1 Bears fan in London. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's a regional team, too. Half the state of Indiana are Bears fans. Yes. Okay. Correct. And some of Wisconsin. Yeah, you're right. And there's parts of Western Michigan that I assume are Bears fans, Correct. too. Right. And it's international. I've seen yes. a lot of Bears fans, and a lot of them were swayed. Um, I mean, Iowa, they're going to be Bears fans. Yes, you know, right. big time. Right. And they will all say, we, we were swayed from the 85 <clears throat> Bears, so we love the Bears now. And again, stop running it like a mom and pop. Now, here's a difference that worries me compared to the Fords. The McCaskies, majority of their wealth is the Bears. Yeah. See, the McCaskies have Ford, right? So they got Brett coming from yeah. plenty of other places. The McCaskies' money comes from the Bears. Yeah. So it can go either way. Can they say, you know what, let's just cash out this $4 billion valuation? And open market, I think, will get to five easily. It's a charter sure. franchise. But Forbes has it, I think, at a $3.5, $4 billion valuation. Put it on open market at another half a billion. And they say, you know what, let's just cash out. We'll take this money. We'll be set for the next 10 generations. Or B, they'll say, well, what else are we going to do? <laughs> Might as well stick with it. Why would we right. give this up? And I actually like George McCaskey, and I get crap from this from diehard fans. I think he's trying I do think he really cares. I generally do believe that about George McCaskey, which is Virginia's oldest son. Um, I just think he's incompetent. I, I really do. But I, do I think he cares? Absolutely. I think he's passionate. I think he loves the Bears. Um, and, and this is why I say when we do our tailgate group, George comes out. And he's yeah. in you know Walmart slacks and a shirt. He stops, takes pictures yeah. with fans, talks to them, actually listens. You know, So I, I really think George, deep down, is like us fans. And all the, you know, the, the insiders in Chicago are saying he won't even talk to Nagy right now or Pace. Like, he's that pissed. Yeah, yeah. But what are you going to do about it? Now, if you only fire Nagy and Pace, like, I'm on a boycott right now. Um, I'm, I'm on an open boycott of the Bears. I will not watch a game for the rest of the year. I will not buy a single item. I will not buy any tickets. I will literally nothing. I'm on a boycott. And I've never, ever been that fan. That's how fed up we are right now. Well, okay, so let's take it broader and talk about, I mean, it's a year in review, but let's look into the near future, okay? Who are your favorites? NFC, AFC, For this Super year? Bowl, yeah. Who's going? Chiefs. <laughs> Tell not somebody. The, not the Steelers. No, Steelers, and I love the Steelers organization. Yeah. It's my favorite organization. Great organization. Mike Tomlin is my favorite coach. Great coach. I love the Rooneys. I love everything about them. Um, Roethlisberger. I, not under, a fan of Roethlisberger. Under, he's an under. Uh, he's an underappreciated quarterback, man. He's yeah, got two rings. He's yeah, been there for he's a long all right. time. I'm not a huge. I, I I think he's he gets fair amount of credit. I, I think he's he's right where he's at. Um, but dude, show me someone who's going to stop me. Patrick Mahomes. I'm a huge Andy Reid fan. Like huge. I, I, I almost cried when he won a Super Bowl. That's yeah. how much of a fan of Andy Reid. I just think he's just I a think great he coach. solidified his place in the Hall of Fame with that Super Bowl, and he's going to win some more with Patrick Mahomes. Dude, who's going to stop that? I mean, you got to put up 30-plus to compete with these guys. And, and the Chiefs, look at the last game. Oh, my God, they're going to lose. Boom, 30 mm -hmm. seconds, yeah. game over, yeah. done. So Chiefs and um, I don't know, man. I just think the Chiefs are on another level. Steelers are really good, 
But do I think they can stop the Chiefs? No, I don't. I wouldn't put up a dollar. All right, on NFC. It. Who's going? NFC is a little more wide open for me. Sure. Um, I'm biased because I got a man crush on Russell Wilson. I think he's that great outside of Patrick Mahomes that he would probably be my quarterback. And for one season, he might be slightly mm-hmm. over Patrick Mahomes for me. Yeah. So I, I do really like the Seahawks, but their defense is just not really giving me a lot of confidence. Um, I don't trust the Saints. I don't trust the Bucks. I really don't. Um, I mean, who else do you? I think the, a, the NFC is kind of wide open. The Rams, I don't trust as much because I think golf is terrible. I don't think he's that good. Now that defense is phenomenal, but you can't win in a playoff scoring ten points. All right, so let me give you my picks. I'm gonna go with the Chiefs because I think it's just the common sense pick. I could see the Steelers because they're playing at such a high. Yeah, level. I wouldn't be surprised. Right, I could see the. It's not going to be the Ravens. Not right. this year. Yeah, not any year. And they're not going to win with Lamar Jackson, okay? I hate to break the news to everybody, <laughs> but Lamar Jackson is doesn't have what it takes, okay? Is he physically gifted? Absolutely he is. But he's not going to take the team to the next level because people, defenses, figure out right. these one-dimensional yeah, schemes. They just do, okay? You can't just basically put a running back in there who throws the ball on occasion. They figure it out. So it's going to be... The Chiefs. NFC, you heard it here first. I'm going Tampa Bay. I'm telling you Tampa Bay. Now, let me tell you why, okay? The problems that Tampa Bay has had up to this point have to deal with they never had a preseason. Tom Brady's still getting used to these players. They're still getting used to him. I think what Tom Brady has done in Tampa Bay so far is incredible Mm -hmm. to take that sorry-ass team and turn it into a playoff contender. The Saints aren't going to hold up. Why? Because they never do. No. And I don't know what's going on with Drew Brees' injury. They need him back because yeah. uh, I don't like their gimmick either yeah, with yeah. Hill. Okay? But the Saints typically don't hold up. I think Tampa Bay, I think once Tom Brady gets in the playoffs, I think once they've had a little few more games under their belt, and Godwin and Evans and Antonio Brown and uh, Gronkowski. I mean, look at the weapons, man. They're not healthy. And they start, okay, you have so many, though. That's the thing. They're not healthy. Let's see. I'm just calling it from here because I don't see the Saints doing it. The other team I would pick would be the Seahawks. But again, the Seahawks. I'm only picking them because of Russell Wilson. Yeah. But, and I hate to say this, and I'm going to get crushed for this. You got to watch out for the Packers for one reason and one reason only. Nah, they're overrated. They Aaron Rodgers. There's only one reason it's Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. Yeah. And I Who is not overrated. Oh, yes. By yeah, yeah. and I and He's I, one of the greats. Yeah. I trashed a guy and I have to. I'm yeah. a Bears fan. I've seen him trash my team live on yeah, many, I, many I, occasions. You know, but I the NFL, I do think a quarterback of that um what's it called? Can really um really take over the playoffs and win. Before we get out, I do want to mention one team that I really like that I think could really scare teams in the AFC in the playoffs that I think teams don't want to play, the Miami Dolphins. Ah, the Miami's. How about Cleveland? No, hell, it's Cleveland, bro. Come on. <laughs> it's Cleveland. It's, uh, what is Cleveland? Eight and three? three? No, I think they're eight and three. Did they win? Yeah, I think they're eight and three. Is it? Yeah, anyways. It's still Cleveland. So uh, we went over a little bit, so it's a good way to end on ripping Cleveland. I have no problems ever ripping Cleveland, so uh, I have no problem. But <laughs> Lath, uh it was great. Um, and the crazy thing about 2020, and I'll wrap up on this, I think we just scratched the surface on that. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to a great 2021. Uh, and it, it was also a good year of shows. For the, so for those of you just listening for the first time, 
go back, listen to the shows of this year of In the Moment, where we talk a lot about the intersection of legal issues and cultural issues. Mm -hmm. So you have your host, Muhammad Ramadan. He's an attorney. He has all this experience in this particular place. And being able to bring all these cultural uh, figures, intellectuals, sometimes other attorneys, and his ability to engage them on this interface between cultural issues and legal issues has been great. It's been a great year. So I encourage you to go and listen to some of those episodes. Awesome. Thanks, Leif, for coming on. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you have a great new year, and we're going to have a great set of guests for 2021. I hope you guys have a blessed one, and we'll see you next year. Thank you.